If you're interested in Bitcoin, you can't help wondering what money actually is, what it could be, and perhaps what it has been. All those subjects come up this week in my conversation with Dr. Jörg Konsert from the Money Museum in Zurich. It's a private museum about the history and the future of money, with an ambition, it says, to stimulate deeper analysis of money. So how does Bitcoin fit into the history of money? Well, that history is still being written, but my guest is as well-placed as anyone to answer the question. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Well, I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Consett, the founder of the Money Museum. Dr. Consett, thank you very much for doing this with me today. You're most welcome. Well, now, I'd like to find out all about the museum, and perhaps I could start off by asking you why you thought there was a need for a money museum. It's probably the only one in the world, I think. Well, um, I didn't think about any need of anybody else. Uh, I just was interested. I, um, I'm a student of uh, history, but then went on to uh, to have a post-education because with just history, you don't make much money. You can become a teacher and journalist, uh, that is not what I wanted. So I went a, uh, a study in uh, Stanford, uh, such a university in uh, California for an MBA and then joined private banking, Citibank in New York, Citibank in Tokyo, and then returned to Zurich. Um, and uh, I had a lot of entrepreneurs and I um, asked them a question, how did you make your money and what do you do want want to do with your money and usually I ask them now you have money which you don't need you bring it to me and now you want to make more profit on that money you don't need how do you relate to that and we had a very interesting discussions and then I thought it would be nice to have the history of money I collected coins with what my client said and everything on the internet. That was uh, the beginning of uh, the internet in the early 1990s. That's why I said, you know, it would be nice to have everything together. And I never wanted to have a physical museum. It was first born in 1999 in, um, as an in- internet museum. So that was the first internet-based Money museums, you're correct. But just going back to what you said at the beginning, you you describe yourself as a historian. Uh, Are you saying that your whole very successful career in banking, which included working for all sorts of big banks in New York and uh, Tokyo and so on, was really just a way of making enough money for you to get back to your first love, which was the study of history? Yeah, well, tell you private banking, at least in my time, but also today, is a good way uh, to deal with money and to make some money. Uh, And uh, never I enjoyed it. And I still enjoy today, you know, what's happening on the money landscape. So for me, it's also history. Right. And then since... 1999, I think, your main focus of activity has been in building up the museum. Is that right? Yeah. It's about 60%, 40%. I'm a private equity investor, and I try to build up uh, you know, companies and or help building up. But uh, 60% of my time really goes into the money museum. That is correct. Right. And now, if we study and think about money, 
as an idea and as the way it's developed in history, what do you think will be the value of that? Will that change our attitude to money in our own lives today? Well, I tell you, I thought as there was a continuum of uh, the history of money. You know, I founded this money museum at uh, a foundation and uh, the aim of that foundation is to document the history of money. But then I thought there was a continuum, you know, beginning with the coins of Croesus up to today, and I could study it and detect uh, qualities and, uh, uh, you know, norms and uh, why things are happening. And that is not true. So um, our money today has nothing to do with the coins of uh, antiquity. So one has to be careful. And, uh, but by studying it, you notice that there is no continuum. What, what do you mean by that exactly? Because in the past, there were coins that were exchanged for value in other commodities and things. Isn't that the same sort of thing? No. I use the term money only for our money. It's the money which governs the world. You know, when you're hungry, you have to get money first, and then you can buy food. In, uh, let's say, in the Middle Ages, you had coins, you're correct. And if there was a pandemic, uh, you know, you close shop, uh, you put the coins on the shelf, waited for six months, and then you opened again and you took the coins, they still had the same value. Not so with our money. Um, you know, the pandemic hits, and the next minute uh, the money begins to disappear. So the money creation today, or for the last several hundred years, was much different from the coins of the Middle Ages or of the antiquity. And that's very important because now, as uh, this phase, how it's created, you know, it's, um, it's created by the central bank giving money to the banking system and then say as a, as a loan and they create money. But it's always a double nature as a debit and as a credit. And that is going to change. You know, the central banks around the world have decided to digitize or tokenize uh, central bank money, and it will have a profound influence on our money, how we perceive it. That's interesting. Well, before we, before we get to the future, let's just, going back to what you said about the past, and that um, if there was a, a national crisis or something, people would believe that once it was over, their coins would still be worth exactly the same as they were. Yes. So, so the difference is that in the past, people had, in a way, more faith in the money that they had, whereas today we believe it's dynamic and... Uh, it has nothing to do with faith, because uh, coins at the previous time, Middle Ages, uh, it, it was a good, it was silver. It was just the commodity itself that it was It was a value. commodity among other things itself. Uh, today's um, money, as I said, is credit. Yes. And you cannot have as the same faith in credit as in goods. Right. So it's a, it's a different animal. Let's say, I usually compare it and say, um, when, when you call every creature on this world, in this, uh, on the earth, animal, then so how do you make a distinguish? Uh, how do you distinguish between the animals? 
So, uh, you know, it could be that a, a new animal drops down on Earth from the moon, and then she would say, oh, it has four legs, it must be an animal. So you don't recognize what it really is. Uh, what we want, uh, I, you know, my money museum wants to find out how money has been developed uh, around, you know, after uh, 1500, how it developed and progressed and how, what you can change of it. Because people say, well, money has always been and you cannot change. That is not true. Right. Uh, money has developed historically in historical uh, circumstances. And if those circumstances change, uh, you can change money. And that is, uh, you know, what we, we talk about uh, at the conference. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because part of people's idea of money is that it's something that almost doesn't change. Exactly. But what you're saying is that if you look into history, you will realize that it's, it's much more flexible and changeable yeah. than you might have expected. That is what, you know, the field of money is the field of the economist. But the economist doesn't want to deal with the history and uh, the psychology of money. So they say it's like a veil over the economy, but it, it's, uh, it's nonsense. It's not a veil. It's, it's really, um, uh, it's a medium. You see, it's a medium of exchange, of course, but it's much more than a, an exchange. It's a medium, as I said, if you're uh, sleepy, you have to get money to get a hotel room so you can lay down. So are you saying that perhaps the economists, they try to turn it into a science so that everything can be measured? Whereas what you're saying is that there's much more a social and a human uh, component to the idea of money that exactly. has been underestimated. Right. Uh, the economists said it has to be a science, but today uh, the norm, the um, science is only what you can measure, which is questionable by itself. So what do you do with the social science, with psychology? They try to make it also a science where you can measure, but you cannot, you know, if you have a plane, uh, you can measure everything because it remains stable. If you have a virus, you cannot measure it because it's changing constantly. Uh, so um, we try to uh, change the education of the economists and of the journalists so they understand also other, um, other fields. Well, let's turn to Bitcoin now. We're at the CoinGeek conference here in Zurich discussing Bitcoin SV in particular. Um, how does the emergence of Bitcoin in all of its various forms fit into your ideas about the history of money as you've studied it? Well, is it how, how new and how revolutionary is the idea of Bitcoin? Well, first of all, it's very new and it's very revolutionary, that's true. And as the governments around the world were frightened because when uh, Bitcoin has risen substantially, they say, what do we do if people or part of the people go to and exchange, uh, you know, the transaction with Bitcoin? What happens to us? What happens to our taxes? How can we control? So they must be in, in horror and uh, say, we have to do something. You can forbid Bitcoin, but that's very difficult. You can make 
taxes around Bitcoin, but that's also pretty tough. So what they decided is to tokenize uh, the central bank uh, money supply. And see, uh, that has huge uh, ramification because up to the present, we have money supply of the central bank, but most of the money we use is banking money. And in the future, uh, there will be basically only central bank money. And um, China has also already introduced it and has experience. And the European Union wants to introduce it in 2025. Facebook will introduce a digital dollar, uh, I think, still this year. So it goes very fast. And what will happen is that um, up to the present time, we think nations spend more money than they uh, take in and they make a debt, national debt. But in the future, there will be no national debt anymore because it will be just money. It will be uh, uh, spread among all citizens. Because the governments can't create credit. But Yeah, uh, because the central bank would incorporate it into the government, will be not independent anymore. It will be run by politician. Our uh, head of uh, European Central Bank is a, a very experienced politician. And then basically, if uh, a nation needs more money, uh, they can create it. There is no need to go to the capital market. And in practice, it's already happening. Why did the money, central bank money supply increase by seven in the last 10 years? Where did the money go? Well, uh, the EU central bank bought up uh, the debt of uh, uh, several um, of France, of, uh, of, the, of the southern states, and it will be spread afterwards. Today, it's still as a debt, but not, everybody knows it will not be, be repaid, and it will be spread as money. That could create inflation, of course. And uh, so politicians have a lot of power with a digitized money supply, but they have a tremendous responsibility. And we will see how they go about this responsibility. And that is where Bitcoin will come in if they double again or uh, times seven in the next 10 years, uh, the next seven years, as they have done in the past, then uh, there will be pressure to bring also money on the blockchain. Because once it's on the blockchain, at least in BSV, it will be public. It will be public knowledge what they do, if they create and how they spend it. But there seems to be an irony here, because when Bitcoin was invented, there was a lot of talk of uh, being independent of governments and central banks. But what you're saying is that it's almost going to make governments and central banks more powerful because they can, we used to talk about printing money, but they can now bring money into existence through these digital currencies just uh, by... Yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with Bitcoin. You know, once the money is fully digitized, uh, the, uh, the government has a lot of power because they can see exactly what we do with the money. Uh, it can also be digital. You know, for example, China has not brought it on the blockchain, but they just digitized it. Uh, so what I'm saying is that 
um, Bitcoin should not be separate from the government. I mean, it should be public, you know. People so, say it's anonymous, but it's uh, not really anonymous. No, but could the digitization of money by central banks have happened without Bitcoin having been invented? Yes, that is what's happening now. Uh, you know, uh, China has digitized uh, their currency, but not on, on not with Bitcoin, not with that blockchain. But they've probably done it in response to the existence of Bitcoin. Well, I think the, um, you know, if you want, uh, we had a, um, an, uh, a philo- philosopher in the 17th century, Leibniz, and he looked around and said, you know, we have to automate this calculation. And uh, he has seen that the Chinese had a dual, you know, yin and yang. And they said, well, maybe I could make a system out of that. And it's a binary system, zero and so on. So every block in the blockchain has only zero and one. And today we can not only calculate, but we can also um, pictures and uh, everything which is in writing. So... Um, I think the Chinese at the time missed um, the science, they missed the 17th century. And that's why in the 19th century, they were uh, they lost against the British. And they said, that never happens to us again. And they studied Leibniz very well and said, what can we do in digitization? And that's why they became world leaders in digitization. And so they, they began their um, uh, digitized central bank money project eight years ago. And finally, they introduced it now. So they are about five years ahead of us. And do you welcome this digital central bank money or i think it's natural you know our um, uh, credit i call our money the credit money because it's uh, uh, created as a credit and it had a tremendous push function to push people to to progress to to always run more because they had to pay back the yeah no we, <laughs> yes but uh, the amount of credit should never uh, be getting smaller. It, it, it expanding has expanded for 500 years. In the war, you know, it could um, be reduced, but then the government comes in and makes war and expands again. So that puts on a lot of pressure. So you, and if you hit the pandemic, you cannot stop the economy or you have a big problem. And um, that has all advantages, but also disadvantages. You know, we had a tremendous increase in wealth, that is true. But I think now it's time to get a different kind of money. Well, so if we were, you know, 20 years or however long it's going to take ahead, and central bank digital currencies had come in and were widely used, what would be the equivalent situation if something like the pandemic came along? Would we be better or worse off? With the new money. With the new money, yes. How would we respond in a, in a different way? You see, uh, our money now is a promise in the future. And uh, I think with digitized money, that doesn't change. So I think it's still the same situation. You still have the same pressure to grow. 
Right. Uh, but uh, eventually, uh, we'll see what the politicians will do with their power. Uh, but they could move onto the blockchain, let's say, in, in eight years. Uh, because today, um, it, it, we now have to first to increase the token economy. You know, it has to, I have on my I, uh, phone, I have about seven or eight uh, tokens of private companies, which are digitized, which I could shift around. But in a few years time, that's very normal. And it will be a large token economy. And so people have experience. And if the government uh, has difficulties because they increase the money supply too much, which is possible, but I'm not predicting that, but it's possible, then there will be people demanding that it's moved onto the blockchain because then it's public. So you see what's happening. And I think if people see what's happening, there will be pressure, you know, Political to pressure. stop it. Yeah. yeah. And we're here at the CoinGeek conference talking about Bitcoin SV. What do you see its role in this big picture that you're describing? Well, it's a big vision of um, uh, BSV or Craig is that, or he sees that only in the end, only one big blockchain will survive. It will be the biggest because it will be a network and it will concentrate. Um, so uh, it's um, he prepares everything uh, on on that uh, event sometime in the future uh, to be that leading blockchain in the world. And how do you think it's going to happen to get from from here to there? What what will be the key drivers of that change? Well, the key driver is. Um, you know, if people make um, services, you know, a micropayment, but registers, you know, a thousand, many thousand things, governments, you know, try are hesitant, but they cannot block it. And the driver will be if there is a big uh, token economy ecosystem growing. And as it takes, uh, I would say, 10 years. So we will have a central bank, digitized central bank money on one hand, which is digital, and we have a growing token economy based on blockchain. And then we'll see part will be Ethereum, part will be uh, other things. And uh, uh, it, in my opinion, there will be one blockchain which attracts most because it will be the most efficient. Uh, and the most efficient, uh, I think, will win. You talked about tokens and how you already have a number of tokens, which, which have their own value. Um, I'm just worried that if that token economy really does well, uh, if I end up with hundreds of different little piles of tokens that are each worth a different amount, the whole thing is going to be very confusing and I'm not going to be really sure what I've got. And well, uh, a, uh, if you're an investor like myself, you can choose between 5,000 stocks worldwide, approximately. Uh, but you can go on coinmarketcap.com and look how many coins could I buy. And it's also about 5,000. So at the present time, it may be confusing, uh, but uh, I think that's why important uh, that Facebook is coming with their service and people get used 
to getting tokens on their uh, smartphones. So it's getting used to it. And uh, by, uh, for example, in China, uh, they are uh, years ahead. Most people do their banking and their insurance, their credit, uh, all on, on the internet. Yes, we should probably draw this to a close, but can we just go back to the big picture and your study of history? In your description of a world in which we all own many different kinds of tokens, which each have a different value, is there anything in the history of money that that reminds you of? Or is this a unique thing that hasn't happened before? Let's take China. China has been an empire for 2,000 years. Uh, China always had many different not tokens that were good. So you could pay with silver. They liked silver. You could pay with silk. You can pay with, I had, uh, you know, tea leaves, pressed tea leaves, quite valuable. Or they had these cash coins. So if somebody says, I give you, I pay you, uh, you know, you could talk to him in what uh, currency do you want? Uh, if you want a house, probably it was more silver or silk or porcelain. So he had many different things. He was used to it. In, we think uh, so it's only one kind of money because the government has a monopoly. It says only my money is valid. So we are going uh, to hopefully do a time where I say, look, uh, you can work with me, but I cannot pay you. I, I give you lodging. I give you other things. Right. And we'll see how uh, governments react to that. And is that is that an improvement, do you think? or are we... I think it will be a big improvement. It will, um, you know, all these people out of work uh, will say, okay, I, I do something. Uh, today in Switzerland, we have a lot of uh, people working for time. You know, time is not taxed. So they are, if you're older, you say, oh, somebody comes with me for shopping and so on. And you can go into debit uh, in, in time. And it's a time exchange. And that's why, uh, quite popular in, in around the world, but also in Switzerland. Do you think that all these changes will make us think of the idea of money as being a less definite and monolithic idea than than we've thought of it up until yes. now. That will be, it, it takes time, you know, 10 years at least or more. But uh, I think it's a good thing that it diversifies. And it will get a different government, we will get a different society, but I think it will be uh, a more just society. And will governments welcome that or will they be resistant to it? Um, I think at first they will be resistant because they will change. Uh, they could uh, lose taxes. And, uh, but if people won't, I mean, the government is the representative of uh, people. If really people want to go in that direction. And historically, I think it's a, a good and um, a valid and um, intuitive, correct uh, way. Yeah, it will happen. Dr. Consett, thank you so much. And uh, very um, heartening, really, to see the idea of people and humanity being brought back into the world of economics. So 
Uh, I welcome that, and thank you so much for your time <laughs> okay, today. Okay, you're most welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much to Dr. Jörg Concert from the Money Museum. Next week, I'll be talking about entrepreneurship and Bitcoin SV with Zach Resnick from Unbounded Capital. So please join me, Charles Miller, for another CoinGeek Conversations. Till then, thanks for listening and goodbye.